This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 169, How to Give Double to Your Favorite Charity Without Any More Out of Pocket. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Have you ever wanted to give more to your favorite charity? Have you always wished that you could leave a larger impact and a lasting legacy to the people and beneficiaries and causes and mission that you care about the most? Do you want to do this in a way that doesn't just drain you dry? Because of course, we all have finite resources and wonder sometimes if you're giving in the best way possible. Me too. That's why I put together this short presentation that I think will provide some interesting insights into ways we can give more effectively and a way to even double your impact with your dollars with no additional out-of-pocket cost. So let's jump into our presentation today. And I'd love to see what your thoughts are on this as well. So this is a discussion around charitable giving, but also something I'm going to be coining the phrase charitable banking. This is a revolutionary way to give and leave a legacy that changes a generation. It really provides momentum for change that lasts for generations. So again, my name is Mark Willis. I'm a certified financial planner. I'm the president of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm here in Chicago, Illinois. I've been privileged to co-author three books that hit the number one best-selling list on Amazon, including The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. I do work with clients on an advisory role one-on-one with folks all over the country. We'll have sit-down discussions around their giving strategy, but also around paying for college without going broke, preparing for retirement with an income that they cannot outlive, and usually looking at ways that are not so average for the average person out there. We bring some fresh approaches to retirement planning, business planning, tax strategies, and more. So as a Christian, and a husband and a father, I'm coming at this also just as a person who's interested in bringing the very best solutions to my own financial life and a way to leave the biggest impact I can for the causes that I care about the most. If you don't have time to go all the way through this presentation, at least write this link down, lakegrowth.com forward slash schedule, and do mention charitable giving in the meeting notes, and I'll be sure to have a 15-minute call with you at the end of this presentation where we can learn more about your goals, your dreams, and the causes that you care about. One more thing before we jump into the presentation, this won't be giving you any official investment advice or tax advice. My attorneys, I'm sure, will be happy to see this slide on the presentation And again, of course, everything that we talk about is contingent on individual discussions that are based on your particular needs and goals as well. Speaking of goals, some people ask me, what's the point of giving? Of course, there's kind of two sides to that coin. One side is, of course, it's an overall essential part of your balanced financial plan. Somebody once said, hey, you can't put a U-Haul behind the hearse. You cannot take it all with you. And so at some level, everything you're doing today, every dollar you have in savings, every dollar in your 401k will either be spent today while you're alive or left to somebody else when you pass. So the question is, are you making a plan for all that money? Many people are packing away dollars, but have no plan for who it's going to go to should they pass away before they spend it. So it's an essential part of a financial plan to really have a 
exit strategy and someone else you might leave it to someone or something else. Maybe that's a charity. Maybe that's a person. But a lot more, I'd say, of our conversations that I have over Zoom and over the phone with clients are really more specifically targeted to making a difference. Many people who give to charity are not doing it just for the tax advantage or to set up some sort of wrapping up the financial leftovers of their life. No, you give to charity because you want to make a difference. And that's where I'd like to continue our discussion today. Unfortunately, too many charities are on the brink. Nonprofits do take on debt, just like households or governments or banks. Usually many nonprofits maintain a large line of credit with a local bank that allows them to pay the bills. Now, that line of credit shrinks their ability to make an impact in their world. And again, if you've got to serve a debt on your balance sheet, whether you're a family or a nonprofit, that's one less dollar that can go into other buckets in your budget. And so we obviously hear all the time about the federal debt, the ballooning of the student loan debt problem. But very rarely do we really hear much about the increasing debt load of nonprofits, churches, mosques, charities, and more. It's really just a a thread that's run through every slice of our economy from households to individuals to governments and now even nonprofits. We're in a massive avalanche of debt as a nation. And donors, of course, are cash-strapped as well. When you're watching your own budget get squeezed with debt, it makes it harder to give. Also, when you see your nonprofit is strangled by debt and lines of credit and credit cards and more, it makes it less exciting to give to that charity when you know your dollars are essentially going to funnel right to the bank. When we first moved to Chicago, we helped work with a nonprofit and we raised funds to help do that. And I began to really realize that a good chunk of the fundraising we were doing was going directly to a student loan that I had to cover from my years in college. After a while, began to really gnaw at me because I realized that all the good that people wanted me to do in the city of Chicago as a part of that nonprofit was being in some ways squandered or squelched to cover an old debt. And they really were donating to the bank that had a noose around my neck, so to speak. Probably the case with too many donors that they're simply paying into a black hole of debts that their nonprofits are tied up in. So I really think the best thing we can do is think about how can we help these charities that and causes that we care about do better with the dollars that they've been given. Charities, of course, are dependent on the donations of their supporters. That's what in, in some ways, it should come as no surprise that those charities are going to be dependent on the donors that give. Now, if a donor is filing for bankruptcy or worse, if they should pass away, that's going to put that charity at risk. So every donor and every donation has with it an expiration date. So we need a game plan for helping charities through the loss of donors, whether it's their human life as donors pass away, or if donors go through major financial crisis, their own debts and more, how can we help charities survive and even thrive both now and in the future? Now, as a giver, there's a few traditional methods that incorporate giving into the financial strategy. Nothing more common than just passing the hat, collecting that common donation for the local charity. There's other ways too. Of course, there's year-end giving tax strategies and big gala events that raise funds for that favorite alma mater uh, down the street. 
Also, of course, you could leave money as an estate plan through wills, trusts, and life insurance. But all of these options are all bound by the limited funds the donor has to give. Now, have you ever wondered what happens to your dollars once you donate them? Many people don't know about all the current options there are out there to give. You can give through simply cash, money in your pocket, or coming from a checking or savings account. You might also put money, if you're feeling savvy and sophisticated, you might even set up or contribute to a donor-advised fund. This is a fund that's managed by a third party, a financial institution of some sort. And usually you get a tax deduction for putting money into the donor-advised fund. And that donor-advised fund then eventually pays out to charities of their choosing. So unlike giving money directly through cash or checking, it goes into a fund and then can be held in that fund indefinitely. Whether or not it ever gets paid out to charity is under the discretion of that donor-advised fund. So some people have referred to donor-advised funds as financial fracking and warehouses of wealth. Again, they're simply putting money into a fund and that donor-advised fund then eventually picks and chooses charities to give to. So there's less of a direct relationship between you and the charity when you have a donor-advised fund. On the other hand, there's foundations, endowments, and trusts. Now, this is a very targeted and very custom-tailored way to give, and you can even set it up where the foundation or the endowment is giving on a certain schedule over many years. So, But whether it's a donor-advised fund or what we might consider an expensive foundation or endowment, which are fairly expensive to set up and maintain, most of them are going to hold the cash, the donations that you've put into them, into a portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, all of which exposes the charity to the risk of the stock market, which could lead to financial ruin if the market tanks. Now, we've seen charities that were devastated by financial crises in the past. So my question is, could that happen again? Do you think it might happen again? Are charities ready for it to happen again? Now, we'll talk more about the charitable banking strategy soon. But first, I want to bring up how our grandparents handled their money versus how we as Americans today handle ours. Now, notice the breakdown of the average dollar in 1940. 11 cents on the dollar went to service debt, whereas 27% went to a savings allocation of some kind. Whether, whether or where that money went, it's not defined, but 27% of their income went to a savings allocation. That's huge when you compare where we are today. Today, we've essentially flip-flopped from being a saving nation to a debt nation. 35.9% of our dollar goes to paying for debts and servicing the interest on our debts, whereas we only can save 5.4%. Now, with finite resources, all of us, unfortunately, we have to prioritize debts over charitable donations. So the larger our debt payments, the less we'll have to give to our favorite charity. And think about it. When the crisis does come again, and us as a nation of debtors have not been contributing or donating to our favorite causes, our churches, our mosques, our temples, our favorite charities, and we haven't been able to save or give as much due to our increased debt load, and the money we have been able to donate has gone into donor-advised funds or endowments that are typically tied to stock and real estate and other investments, 
When are donors least likely able to give because of their own financial hardship during a crisis? And when are the market-based endowments or donor-advised funds going to be at an all-time low, leaving charities with less money to have access to? Of course, during a crisis. So when we as a nation and as a family and as an individual, when we can save more, typically we can give more. Now, surprisingly, adults have seen their savings rates rise by about 10% in the year 2020. This is, of course, during the coronavirus uh, that we all experienced in 2020. And this is probably due to most Americans just not eating out as much or traveling or doing much socially with our peers. And there was also the fear factor. In April of 2020, the jobless rate was at its highest that it's been since the Great Depression. So in September 2020, the savings rate went up to 14%, down from a 33% high in April, but certainly still above the 5% that we saw in 2019. Bottom line is we saved a lot of money in 2020, but many of us stopped giving to our favorite charities in 2020 because many of us had a fear factor. We didn't want to let go of our dollars for fear that things would get worse under the pandemic. So when we're scraping by, we just don't donate as much as we can or we want to. Debt cannot be donated. We could think of it this way. We now charitably give to our credit cards, our finance companies, our car loans, our mortgages, and we give less to the causes and the missions and the communities that we care about the most. There's a great book out there by David Graeber called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. And again, he really brings to light the history of banking and how debt is just a part of human civilization. I'd like to make a distinction. Banks aren't necessarily the problem per se. Although we do have a ton of debt, we do have a ton that we need to take care of in this country in terms of our debt load. The biggest problem is who's sitting behind the banker's desk with your personal life, but also for your charity. If you have the wrong banker behind the desk, of your financial life, you're under their control. And that's true for our charities as well. Now, what if, what if you could use the idea of banking, not as a disadvantage, but to our personal and our charitable advantage? What if you could become your own source of financing? What if you could flip the script where the problem of banking now becomes a solution? And what if, as a result, you had the ability to leave to your favorite charity more than you could ever donate to them? What if there was a, maybe a better way to give than the traditional means? What if you could multiply your limited dollars to do the most good for the causes that you care about the most? What if you could create a more financially stable charity, but also a tax-free retirement for you at the exact same time? How could you do this? It's through a strategy we call charitable banking and through the means of a strategy called bank on yourself. Now, bank on yourself is a concept that's been around for generations and specifically trained financial strategists and planners have been using it with both their clients and charities to maximize contributions that they want to give to their alma mater, their church and synagogue and more. So how does this work? You ask. You cannot be a, your own banker just by stuffing money in a checking account or under a mattress. Remember, you've got to put your money somewhere. And where you put your money makes it act differently. So let's make sure that the money you do give is put in the best place possible to meet your goals. Now, Bank on Yourself is a nickname 
for a well-established financial vehicle outside of local bank accounts, stock portfolios, and it's been completely redesigned from the ground up. It's a variation of a financial asset that's increased in value every single year during every market crash and every period of boom and bust in the market for more than 160 years. We're using a form of whole life insurance, dividend paying whole life insurance to help donors give and help charities use the money that they do receive to help them not only survive, but thrive. Now, many people may have heard of whole life insurance in the past, but I can assure you this is different than what's painted by naysayers like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman. This is very different than what they like to naysay on their programs. I did some research specifically on what Dave Ramsey claims about whole life insurance and found that there are three categorical differences from what he talks about on his show. First, this type of whole life insurance dramatically lowers the expenses and commissions by 50 to 70%. It also gives an exponentially larger cash value than the kind of whole life insurance that he talks about on his show. In fact, sometimes we can even see as much as 40 times more cash value than the versions of whole life insurance that he describes. And finally, there's an increasing death benefit on these bank on yourself type whole life policies to help buffer against inflation. So this does grow in a very nice way, but let's talk about what this allows us to do for charities and for yourself. For one, it is life insurance. We don't want to forget this. It creates immediately an instant legacy for your beneficiary, whether that's a spouse, a family member, or a charity. But since this is not term insurance, but rather cash value or permanent life insurance, this also allows us to build up equity or cash value that either the donor or the charity may use for whatever purpose you so desire. Now that cash value is liquid access before you pass away. It's almost like you have a bucket of cash that you can spend and use as you will for other reasons, not just the life insurance, of course. This does grow, this cash value grows on a predictable and guaranteed basis every single year, and it's not tied to the stock market. It is built right into the contract that you have an annual increase of cash every year you keep your policy. Next, this is a liquid accessible pool of money. Unlike maybe a home or a stock market account, this bucket of money is liquid and accessible to you for any reason at any time. And the access of that cash value can be income tax-free if we designed it correctly. And finally, and maybe most surprisingly, when I access the policy through a policy loan and I access the cash value in that policy, it will continue to grow and build even on the capital I borrow as if I had not touched a dime of the money. And that can be a jaw-dropping experience and statement for many people. So I'll say it maybe a slightly different way. Let's say I have $100,000 in cash value life insurance in my policy, and I want to access $30,000 to buy a car. That year, I'll get a full increase of cash plus my dividend based on the entire $100,000, even the $30,000 I had taken out to go buy my car. Now, that's an unbelievable combination of benefits, and you may even be able to see how this could impact both your personal life as a donor and also the charity that you care about. So let's get more into detail of how this works. So every bank on yourself type policy is built with several advantages that can be used to give to charities if you choose to leave the benefits to some of the charities that you care about. 
The first is, maybe the most obvious is, you can make the beneficiary of your policy's death benefit, a church, a mosque, a synagogue, or charity. Hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of dollars can be left to any organization you wish, income tax-free. Talk about changing the world and leaving a legacy with your dollars. What if you died yesterday? I would want your values, your mission, your principles, the causes that you care about to survive and even thrive today. I'd want what you were put on earth to do to be accomplished. The second piece here is because it's a dividend paying whole life insurance policy, your donations are aided by the dividends and the guaranteed interest that your policy enjoys. So think of it like a hybrid car. That electric motor assists the gas engine. You're giving out of your pocket, but it's augmented by the power of dividends. Dividends, you sort of like the parable of the talents, don't just stick those donation dollars into a savings account or a checking account. Let those dollars multiply. And dividends on a whole life policy can be a great way to multiply the gift that you give. Third, these are dollars that can be made immediately available for the charity. Unlike term insurance where you're having to wait for someone to pass away or an endowment where you're having to wait for certain trigger points for the charity to have access to the money with giving the policy's cash value to the charity, they can use it for any charitable needs they might have, such as raising funds, doing mission work, building houses, helping the causes and the people groups that they care about the most. Or if you personally own the policy, you can use the cash before you pass away for things like cars, vacations, equipment, retirement income. You can be your own banker. So we'll be talking more about this in just a minute. Okay, so there's a few benefits to donors. First of all, we're able to leverage our charitable gifts and still get a tax deduction. So there's no change in our behavior necessarily. We simply give the money to a charity and the charity may, in one case, open up a policy that's owned by the charity. That's one option. Charities can also use that donation to fund that policy, ensuring the donor's life. That's a possibility. So imagine you as an important donor of this charity may be insurable to the charity itself. They've got an insurable interest on your life to make sure that you as a donor don't stop giving, even if you should pass away. Now, the charity could be the owner of the policy and then use that cash value for any purpose they so choose. And the charity could then still be the beneficiary and guaranteed they will receive a legacy someday when you should pass away. Let's put some skin on this. Let's talk about a case study here. Mary uh, is 65 years old and let's say she's doing fine. She's got a great retirement. She's income secure and she's already planning her legacy now. And she loves volunteering at a local children's hospital. Let's say she's already in the business and the habit of planning to give every year to this hospital. And she gives $20,000 a year from her retirement income that she doesn't need to spend at the grocery store. She gives that 20 grand a year to the hospital, but she also knows she wants to leave a large legacy to the hospital in the amount of about $300,000. What happens next? Instead of just sending in cash and watching that money disappear into the charity every year, she instead sets up a whole life policy where the charity is the owner and the beneficiary of the policy. So Mary deducts the gift she makes of $20,000 on her tax return. And that tax savings to her is $6,000 in the first year. And then she funds this policy at $20,000 for the first 15 years. And then she just 
funds it at $7,500 from ages 81 to 85 for a grand total of $335,000 that she donates to the charity in, in her name. Now, she receives about $90,000 of total tax savings over her lifetime. And notice what happened to her legacy. In the first year, she already achieved her dream and her goal of having a $300,000 gift to the charity. But notice what happened in the future. If there are even conservative dividends assumed, she'd have doubled her gift to charity over that 20-year period, doubled it to $628,800 as a gift to the charity. That's more than the $335,000 that she paid in cash that she would have given that hospital. But at this level, she's literally put the same money in that she would have otherwise donated, but she just doubled the gift she left the charity. But it gets more interesting. Let's say that the charity needed something important. Let's imagine for a moment that the cash value on this whole life policy that she's been donating into is needed for a certain important need. So pay attention as we go through this example. The cash value in year one is already available immediately in the amount of 11,866 bucks in the first year. But by year seven, there's a real need. The hospital has a piece of life-saving equipment they need to purchase. But let's say that they're in the midst of an economic downturn and banks are no longer lending even to hospitals for life-saving equipment that could change their patients' lives. So what could the hospital do? Before I go to the next slide, I want you to take a moment and just look at the numbers at year 11. And for those listening only, the cash value in year 11 is $230,000. And the death benefit is $482,000. So keep those two numbers in your mind. Cash value is 230 grand. Death benefit is 480 grand. This is without any loans or accessing the cash. It, if it was to just sit there and grow over the years, by year 11, there'd be $230,000 of cash value and 482,000 bucks as a legacy to the charity. Now, after year seven, the hospital decides, yes, we do need this life-saving equipment. So they do request a policy loan and within a week and with no additional questions or lengthy paperwork or loan underwriting, the hospital receives hundred grand deposited into their bank account so they can make that purchase for the life-saving equipment and they begin using it right in time to save some children's lives. And then the hospital on their own needs and their own schedule they decide to pay back the loan to the policy that they control over the next four years. So by year 11, the loan is completely paid off. And notice what happened. By year 11, the cash value has been uninterrupted. We still have the same cash value and death benefit that we would have had had this hospital never taken the loan out. Still, we're at $230,000 of cash value and $480,000 of death benefit. It's an unbelievable combination of liquid access to money, but uninterrupted growth at the exact same time. Let's take a look at a different case study now. Let's imagine a church wanted to set up a retirement plan for some of their church leaders. And one young pastor in particular needed to have something as a retirement plan for him and his family. The church wanted to be able to give him more than just a salary and wanted to give him a substantial reason to stay at their congregation for many years, a kind of employment retention strategy, let's say. So the church could have set up a 401k or a 403b with a strict vesting schedule, which would have been inaccessible to the church 
and inaccessible to the pastor for the next 20 to 30 years while he waited for his retirement. It also would have been tied to the stock market and supporting some industries and corporations that really didn't align with the church's mission. So rather than going down that path, instead, they decided to set up a life insurance policy called an executive bonus plan following the tax code of section 162. Now, Deep dive here, section 162 of the tax code allows for-profit businesses as well as non-profit businesses to set up executive bonus life insurance on important employees of the business or the non-profit. The church set aside a part of their budget that would go directly into this life insurance policy, which would build up a cash value that could be used by the pastor during his working years to help his family. He's able to use it to support his children. As the children went to college, he was able to upgrade and repair his kitchen when they needed some repairs. The cash value was even able to be used to send the pastor on a few much needed vacations and sabbaticals. Of course, the life insurance death benefit was also there for the pastor's wife if he should unexpectedly pass away too soon. Now, as he approaches retirement, the life insurance cash value will have built up quite nicely to several hundred thousand dollars which will be able to be spent for the pastor's retirement income, completely income tax-free. Now, that was awesome just for the pastor. But what about the church? The church also realized how important it was to provide some life insurance for the church. The church itself, if the pastor should pass away, would be devastated financially. A lot of the members might leave the congregation. They would need to find a replacement to lead the congregation through a tough time. So the church decided, as a result of this discussion, to set up a separate policy owned by the church, where the church is the beneficiary. This is a way, and sometimes they call this a key person policy, where the church essentially sets up the policy. The church owns the policy. It controls and uses the cash value in the policy for whatever the church might need. And the church is the beneficiary. This leaves both the family of the pastor and the church in a good spot should the worst take place. And unfortunately, I've seen this happen in the real world where pastors have unexpectedly passed away, leaving the church in a difficult position. Now, I want to go back for a moment. Let's go back to the traditional way that we all give. Imagine for a moment you have a household income of 100,000 bucks and you're giving or you plan to give 10%. You tithe to your local mosque or temple or church, alma mater, favorite charity of any sort, and you're putting that money in after a tax deduction in the amount of 10,000 bucks per year. Let's say you do that from age 40 to age 65. So for 25 years and your total donation which is $10,000 times 25 years is going to be a total of $250,000. That's the amount of money that will leave your hands and go to the charity. Now you'll get a tax deduction and the charity will get the money. Of course, you're out the quarter of a million dollars there, 250 grand, but you feel good about the donations you gave to the charity. And that's about the end of it for most people. That's the traditional way to give. But the charity, of course, after 25 years, is still going to be needing more cash. Now, think of how you give to your favorite charity. Why do you give? Isn't it because you believe in their mission? Isn't it because you want to see the mission of the charity make its greatest impact in the world? Wouldn't you give them more money if you could financially make it work? Why should it suffer just because you or I didn't wake up this morning? So I want to give a case study number three with that context. 
and keep those previous numbers I mentioned in mind. Make 100 grand a year, donate $10,000 a year for 25 years, and then you're out the money of 250,000 bucks. So keep those numbers in mind as we look at case study three, seed planting for a greater harvest. Let's say you have a favorite church that you want to give to, but you figured out that bank on yourself might actually give you more. But unlike Mary in our first case study, you, you don't have 20 grand to just let go of. Heck, you don't have any more than the 10 grand that you give your church now every year. You have other life needs. You got to buy cars, send the kid to college and so forth. You want to be generous with your favorite charity, but you're also realistic and you're on a limited budget. You also realize the importance of saving for big purchases like cars, vacations, or other tax-free income in retirement, and yet your dollars are limited. You can only donate or save 10 grand a year. Do you have to choose between saving for your future or giving to the mission that you care about? If you're thinking in the traditional way, yes, you have to decide. It's either or. But when you bank on yourself, it's both and. So again, let's look at the same example. Starting at age 40, let's say that you took 10 grand a year and instead of giving it directly to charity for seven years, you simply pay your taxes on that money and you put it into a bank on yourself designed life insurance policy. So 10 grand minus your tax bracket, let's just say that you're in a 28% tax bracket, that leaves you with 7,200 bucks a year, which is basically 600 bucks a month. So essentially, you'll be putting $600 a month into a bank on yourself type policy that you own. And let's say you did that for the first seven years and you defer the contribution that you as a donor were going to make to the charity for the first seven years. And then after the seventh year, you return to giving to your charity as you normally would. Now, let me pull over for a minute. Why would you delay the gift to charity? Well, because one, you needed this cash for your own needs today and you knew the charity would receive much more by delaying your gift today. But also, so you as the donor can create a retirement income for yourself without paying a single extra penny out of pocket. Okay, so after seven years of contributing to your bank on yourself policy, you stop paying premiums into the whole life policy and you resume your donations of 10 grand a year with the tax deduction to your favorite charity and church. So what happened to the policy after the seventh year? we used dividends from that whole life contract to pay for the policy itself. It's paying for itself after just seven years. Now let's see what happens. Now we see how the life insurance can dramatically impact the gift you can leave your favorite charity, even on the first day. So recall, you are paying $600 a month into a policy where the church is the beneficiary. If after only the very first month, you as the donor passed away, the church would receive, get this, $185,000. That's way more than the 600 bucks that you gave to the life insurance company. And certainly a lot more you would have, than you would have given and been able to donate if you were giving and donating in the traditional way. In traditional pass the plate giving strategies, the church would have been out the first year's donation and all the future donations that you would have been able to give them had you survived and lived. But with life insurance, the church immediately gets $185,000 as a lump sum and a parting gift from you to the charity to encourage and extend their mission in the world. So recall in our first charitable banking strategy, 
Mary just gave the money to charity so that the charity could use the cash value. But here in our third case study now, we're assuming that you simultaneously need the cash for your own needs, cars, vacations, retirement, and you also want to leave the gift to charity. You don't have any extra money beyond the 10 grand a year. So in this case, with you as the owner of the policy, you control the cash value, but you've made the charity your beneficiary on this policy. So you're building up cash value for your own life needs, and let's figure out how it works out. So after the fifth year, you've been paying $600 a month into your policy. Your policy has $29,000 of cash value, and you want to use that 29 grand to buy a car. So in the sixth year, you take a loan out from the policy for $25,000 to buy a car, and you start to repay that policy loan with the same dollars you would have paid a regular car loan. So let's say that regular car loan at ABC Auto Dealer Financial is going to ask you to pay $625 a month, $625 a month. That's $7,500 a year. So at the end of year one, you've been paying your policy loan down. Now that loan balance is $17,500. You're not paying anything out of pocket more than you otherwise would. You're giving your tithe after tax would be $600 a month. And you're making a car payment of $625 a month that you were going to have to pay for anyway, even without this policy. So you were going to have to make the payments to the car company anyway, and you were going to give to charity. So this is a way to turn your need to buy cars into a way to give a lot more to charity. So let's say we do this. And every five years, we repeat the process. We buy another car for a total of five cars over 25 years. And let's say that, unfortunately, you pass away at age 65 after doing all of this. The death benefit at age 65 to the charity would be $325,000. Unbelievable gift to the charity. Let's take a look at it from a high level. From year one to seven, you funded the policy at $600 a month. That's $7,200 a year. At age 65, your total out-of-pocket premium to the whole life policy was $65,000 after 25 years. The cash value at age 65 is $141,000. And again, if we pass away at age 65, the gift to your favorite charity is 325 grand. But let's say you don't pass away, for example, at age 65, and you live from age 65 to 100 years old, and you start taking an income. At that point, you decide, hey, I deserve to get something back here. So no more premiums are due on the policy. And at that point, you start taking an income of 7,100 bucks per year to supplement your other retirement income. Again, this is going to reduce the cash value and the death benefit, but it all comes back to you without any income tax due. And remember, you've only deferred your gift to charity for seven years, back when you started this, back when you were in your early 40s. And you've been giving to charity every year for seven, since year seven and getting tax deductions and supporting your charity with those dollars. So what's the bottom line? The traditional way to give would be just to hand over 10 grand every year for 25 years, and now the money's gone. The charitable banking way to give using a bank on yourself type whole life policy, the charity would get 10 grand a year that you directly donate to them starting in the eighth year from age 48 to age 65. Now that's a total of $180,000. Now you'd leave the charity a death benefit at age 65 
of 325 grand. Put those two numbers together and the total gift to charity is $505,000. What's this all mean? Compared to the traditional way of giving, we just doubled the gift to your favorite charity. 250 grand the old-fashioned way over 25 years or $505,000 using the charitable banking strategy. It's an incredible way to give without any more money out of pocket. Now, what if you don't pass away at age 65 and you make it to age 85? Your total benefit, some of this is going to include your own personal income of 7100 bucks a year, but the total benefit if you live to age 85 is $503,000. And if you live to 100, it's $572,000. So this is a win-win situation. Your church, temple, favorite charity, they all come out ahead. You leverage what would have been an expense to you buying these five cars, the cars you were going to have to buy anyway, and you turn it into more money for your charity and a tax-free income for you. Show me a better way to give. You transform 250 grand into more than twice that number with no market risk and no additional cost. Now, I'm not saying there are no downsides. There are certainly considerations when setting up one of these policies. Of course, there are insurance costs to setting up an insurance policy. We made those clear with uh, case study one. Go back and look at that if you'd like to see more. The returns are going to be modest as well. These policies are not get rich overnight. You're going to see middle single digit returns, pretty common for most of these policies these days, which to me, that beats certainly beats other cash equivalents in my portfolio, but you will never see an, a double digit, triple digit return in a whole life policy. So you might miss out on the best years of Wall Street. Now, my question is, if you do a policy, is it you missing Wall Street or is Wall Street going to miss you? And of course, I would also just mention that this is a long-term savings strategy. It's not a one and done most of the time. Hold that thought. We'll come back to that. So if you're ready to get started, if you're the donor, if you're considering just changing how you give, all you really have to do is notify your charity of what you'd like to do. I'm sure they'll be thrilled. We had a church that recently had a, one of their congregants pass away, and she had left almost a million dollars as a gift to that church. And in an urban environment, that is the lifeline that saved that church through a very difficult time a few years ago when she passed away. The church was absolutely thrilled, and of course, her legacy lives on even to today. Now, if you're the charity, simply notify your accountant and the charity's financial team. You want to get all the cooks in the kitchen to discuss this strategy with a competent professional. And that leaves me to my last point here. Book an appointment with us, and we'd be happy to sit down and talk with you to see if this strategy makes sense for you, for your charity. Simply a 15-minute introductory phone consultation might be enough for us to have an initial idea as to whether or not this would make sense for you and what you're trying to accomplish. The best way to get in touch with us is to go to lakegrowth.com slash schedule and click on phone introduction meeting. It's a 15 minute, 20 minute meeting. Mention the words charitable giving in the agenda for the appointment. So we'll know what we are here to cover when we talk with you. Now, I mentioned earlier that it's a long-term saving strategy and I meant that, but you don't have to fund it for a long period of time. Let's imagine Back to Mary, let's say she didn't just have 20 grand a year to leave her favorite hospital 
charity, but she also wanted to leave a lump sum in the amount of 211,000 bucks. It was just sitting in a CD, a certificate of deposit at the local bank earning a mere 1%. And that 1% was getting taxed every year. This was money that she had set aside just for a charity's sake. And yet she was being penalized for keeping it in a CD, meaning she was being taxed every year on the nominal interest she was earning. So she didn't want to donate the money just yet. She wanted that cash available just in case she had an emergency, maybe a health scare or a medical need or some other emergency. She didn't want to donate it. She wanted to leave it to her charity when she passed. So rather than letting it sour in a CD, she decided to use the $211,000 to put into a single premium whole life insurance policy. Now she put that money in and she named the charity as beneficiary to the policy. Instantly, her legacy is 448000 bucks. Guys, that's more than double the gift she was going to leave to the charity in that bank CD. And the cash value will grow predictably and guaranteed every single year outside of the stock market. In fact, it appears to grow much better than what the CD was offering her, not to mention that death benefit waiting for charity. Now, The cash value is liquid and accessible to Mary for any reason, including health emergencies. And the death benefit could even be accessed under certain circumstances should she need long-term care in her final years. So she has access to the cash value, and she may even need to access the death benefit for her own needs. If, however, she doesn't need this money, it's all left, the death benefit is completely left to the charity when she passes and an incredible way to provide some safety, predictability, and growth for her. Oh, and by the way, these policies don't get taxed every year like the CD did. So she's no longer receiving that pesky 1099 that the bank would send her for keeping her money at the bank. So this is a tax-deferred bucket that never gets taxed again. As long as it's in the policy, that cash value is tax-deferred, and the whole life death benefit is always income tax-free to the charity. Now, again, final thoughts here, and I'd love to get your feedback. Thank you guys, first of all, for sticking with me here to the end. If you've made it this far, you obviously care quite a bit about the charity and the causes and the missions that you want to give to. So I ask that you take a moment to just reward yourself for giving and being a generous person. So thank you for giving so generously, and may your mission and your dreams for a better world come true. Love to speak with you. Love to reach out and talk with you. Some of the best people in the world are making the biggest impact in the world. So go to lakegrowth.com forward slash schedule and let's set up a time to talk. Thank you everyone for joining me on this presentation. And again, may your mission come true with the dreams and the hopes you have for the world you'd like to create. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.